Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. Good to be back with you after some time off and time away, taking your calls and your questions today. My name is Ed Taylor, pastor here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. I have the wrong headset today, so hopefully... It sounds super weird in my ears, so hopefully I can understand the phone calls. Um, I have a I, I have in ear uh, headset that I forgot. Then I have a backup in my desk that is not there, and so I'm using whatever we got in the studio here. So hopefully I can understand you. Give me a call three zero three six nine zero three thousand. You guys on radio by Grace Grace FM. You're listening live, live. Welcome. Are you anywhere else? Hope FM, Truth FM, Higher Rock, other stations, you're listening one week delayed, but that's okay. You can still call while we're on the air. We'll take your call, talk to you on just as you would if it was live, and you'll get to hear yourself on the radio next week. Uh, so give me a call, 303-690-3000 is the number. Uh, I want to start out today's program, I want to pray for a brother uh, that is in the hospital uh, on a ventilator uh, because of COVID. And uh, recently I got an update uh, from his wife today that um, he had, it was a roller coaster of a day and one of his lungs collapsed. Um, And so we want to pray for him. And then Kevin is going to tell me his dad's name. We're going to pray for his dad. Um, And I know he said it already, but I forgot. So we're going to pray for Jerry, also battling COVID. And we've just seen a higher instance lately of this virus um, just creating havoc. We're grateful for the many, many mild cases, but we're concerned about the not-so-mild cases that are taking advantage of the... um, you know, other diseases and sicknesses in a person's body. So we don't want to take it lightly. Uh, Everyone that I've uh, talked to that's been infected with the virus, I just tell them, take it seriously, and take it seriously even as unto the Lord. Uh, And it's just, man, it it changes everything, right? changes everything when you are in the hospital, when your loved one's on a ventilator. Uh, It's no longer theory. It's no longer what the news people are saying, whatever side you listen to. It's life and death. And uh, it doesn't really matter anymore, does it? All the arguments, it's life and death. So we want to pray for life. Father, I pray for Jerry. Strengthen him as he battles this virus. We pray for the strength that would come only by your Holy Spirit. Give him health as we've seen many people recover from it, and we're grateful. I pray for Joman uh, in the hospital right now, God. You give wisdom to the doctors doing surgery uh, or whatever they're doing exactly to resolve the collapsed lung and bring this brother home safely, be with his wife, Lord, as she is desperate. She's been desperate for a week or so now. 
just asking for your, your help and insight for her husband, for her family. And I know many others, not just these. Um, these are just a couple that come to mind, but there's many, many others. And I pray that you would uh, help <clears throat> resolve and bring to health those that are struggling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 303-690-3000 is the number. Uh, we're going to go over to Florida, Pompano Beach. Leah, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, so my question is about being baptized. Okay. Um, I was baptized last Valentine's Day. Um, my church is a Baptist church that I started going to, uh-huh. and they ask you, you know, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And yes. I, you know, yes. And then they dunk you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And before I even got baptized, it was just not sitting right with me. I feel like I was asking them, why don't you do it in Jesus' name? I think it's Acts 2.38 uh-huh. where it says that. Yes. Um, and, they're, and they're like, we go by Scripture, and they give me another verse. Yes. You know, like it's that original verse. But um, then I'm seeing, I ask other people, and they're like, Jesus is the name above all names. You know, he is, he is it. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are more of other, like a title. And I've had other, um, like, analogies and things given to me, examples on why it should be Jesus. And I just wanted to know, like, your view and, like, if it is, should be in, in Jesus' name, should I get re-baptized? <laughs> well, I agree with the church that you were baptized in, that you're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason I believe that is that's the teachings of Jesus. That's how he told us to do it. He said in Matthew 8, 28, verse uh, 8, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and you're right, in, the, in light of the, the name of Jesus, the name above all names, um, certainly Jesus has a preeminence among humans in his humanity— but the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal. So when you're baptized following the methodology that Jesus gives, you are at the same time being baptized in the name of the Son. Okay. And, and okay. so if there is, unfortunately, there is, uh, and, and whether or not you, got, uh, you were in, um, you know, had any connection with these folks, but there is a cult that's out there that says only be baptized in Jesus' name and every other way is wrong. Um, you know, yeah, there, yeah. there are instances of people being saved without water baptism, uh, and yeah. so without any name. But if you, were, if you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you were baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Uh-huh. 303-690-3000. Grateful for you guys calling all around uh, the country. We've got a text question that came in. Do husbands have the final say in a decision for the family at all times because they're the head of the household and wives are supposed to submit to their husbands? Or is the husband and wife equal in decisions in the household? Well, I do believe that the relationship of a marriage is oneness, oneness. And in oneness, there is cooperation, there is collaboration, there is agreement, and there is mutual submission. And so when you, the way that you f- phrase this question, the husband is not a dictator. 
He's not an authoritarian. So when you say he has the final say, what you describe should be a very, very rare occurrence in a marriage. Most of the time in our marriages, we are to have a semblance of agreement or real agreement, and ultimately there is a final decision to be made for sure, and the husband can make that final decision, but you know the wife can too. The, the, the wife can make a final decision uh, while being submissive as much as a husband can make it with a wife being submissive. You know, as a husband's loving his wife as Christ loved the church, then there is a sweetness in relationship where submission comes very naturally, even in hard situations. So the way that you phrase the question, we have to be careful. No, the husband's not the final word and goes around barking orders and <clears throat> this is the way it's going to be and and I'm going to make the decision at all times. If a husband's loving his wife, that decision's going to be made together almost all the time. And you can make a decision together and not fully like it. You can make a decision together and not even fully agree. But if we have to assert, and I speak as a husband, I'm, I wish Marie was in here because she could give me her point of view um, from where she sits on the times we've disagreed. Um, I do think it is a challenging thing, but I, uh, I'll get to that in a second. But like, like it, it, I don't, I can't, I cannot in the authority of Jesus Christ walk around as a dictator in my home. This is the way it is. You must submit to me, woman. I make the final decision. I have somehow failed to love my wife if I have to assert that kind of behavior. However, I have to say that there have been times when Marie was right and I was wrong. There's just no other way around it. Um, You could say I made the final decision, or she could say I made the final decision, but it was her decision because she was right and I was wrong. And certainly I've been right and my wife has been wrong, but I I don't ever want you to think of marriage outside the concepts of which God created it. Oneness, unity, intimacy, closeness, cooperation, collaboration. Um, Are there those times where a decision must be made? Yes. Uh, And I hope it's made in relationship, in oneness. Um, But I definitely would not, uh, you know, does the husbands have the final say at all times? Um, no, the husband doesn't have final say at all times because sometimes the husband is wrong and that is not a healthy relationship. I know this, this may be, this question may have been, uh, derived from the abounding grace grace radio program. Cause I know I just finished airing on Peter husbands and wives, and it could come from that. If it doesn't come from that, I would encourage you to listen to those two studies, Uh, that are available. We archive all our studies on our radio broadcast page, AboundingGraceRadio.com, AboundingGraceRadio.com. But the way that you phrase your question, the answer is no, because the husband's not always right. Uh, And when the husband's wrong, he must submit to the Lord and thus turn around and be mutually submissive to his wife. Nothing sinful about that. 303-690-3000 is the number, excuse me, I want to move on to Amarillo, Texas, Tamara, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. What can I do for you? 
Um, well, I was asking a question. Um, okay. Uh, I don't even know how to put it really into words. Um, everybody is like, um, like I don't know how to say it properly. Okay, we're all going through tribulations, right? And we all sin, and everybody does a lot of messed up stuff out here. And I'm in a, a situation where, like, all my friends, me included, um, we do a lot of stupid stuff. And um, if God is going to forgive me, can he forgive the devil if the devil asks for forgiveness? No, the devil is unforgivable. Uh, he is in Why? a different class. First of all, he's in a different class of creation. You're a human. Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of humanity. Uh, the devil is a created a being known in the class of angels. And from the Bible, we learned that angels had one opportunity to choose allegiance to God or to choose rebellion. And after that choice, there's no turning back. So the angels that pledged allegiance to God and are serving him will serve him forever. And the angels that rebelled under the leadership of Satan or Lucifer, they too will live in perpetual rebellion. There is no salvation for the angelic realm. Yeah, humans. No. He's talking about humanities, humans. not 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 about angels. No, he does not say that. Yeah, the Bible does say that uh, very clearly. Uh, let me let me read it to you, and then we uh, just just to make sure that you understand. When we read the Bible, uh, we have to be careful to read it in context. Uh, and so, let's find out who, when it says he's not willing that any should perish. Uh, but that all should come to repentance, let's find out who he's referring to, uh, because that's a great question. So as you come back <clears throat> into that passage, we need to go back just a—well, we don't even have to go back that far, um, but we could, because he's talking about ungodly men, and this is Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, so we see the object is uh, our men, and then he says, beloved— and again, addressing humans, Peter's writing to human beings, do not forget this one thing with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not con con slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. So now Peter, a human being, is talking about the people he's writing to and himself. So that's us, human beings, not willing that any... Now, any who? Who is he speaking to any? What's the context? That would be any humans should perish, but that all, again, who's the context? All humans should come to repentance. Uh, so the context is super important when you're reading the scriptures. You don't, you don't want to cross over and make one part of the Bible say something that it's not saying. Um, and so he's definitely talking about human beings there. Thanks, Tamara, for calling. 303-690-3000 is the number. Nancy up in Thornton, Colorado, welcome to the program. You kind of just led into my question. Okay, great. Um, I listened to you a few weeks before Christmas um, on one of your recorded sermons, and you were talking about how in a group Bible study you need to make sure to not guess at the Bible and how it's interpreted, okay. and that we are to interpret it correctly. Yes. And I'm more so talking, obviously, in a group we're supposed to, but also in my private reading, how do I know if I'm interpreting it correctly? <clears throat> That's a great question. There's a few ways to determine whether you're 
understanding of that is um, is accurate, you know, in your own basic. First of all, you don't need to worry too much about that because the Bible says if you're genuinely opening up your Bible and reading it, that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. So you you know that, like for example, um, there be times when people come to me with some doctrine, and I and I'll hear them describe it, and I'll say, "Where did you learn that from?" And they'll go, "Oh, I didn't learn it from anywhere." I said, "There's no way in the world you got that from just reading the Bible, um, because that's not what it says at all. You you couldn't have possibly come to that conclusion uh, without someone helping you come to that conclusion." And almost always they go, "Yeah, I watched this YouTube video, or my uncle said something," because a simple reading of the Bible is going to give you most. The, the most basic, simple understanding of the text, even though there might be challenges and difficulties, um, most of the Bible is very easy to understand. Um, however, some of it's challenging. Some of the doctrines, like, like for example, in the, the passage I just read um, with not, um, con, not slack concerning his promise, a simple reading of that text would see it refers to human beings. Um, I... I it would be very, very difficult not to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even though you, you could probably go to different passages and start putting all these things together and confuse yourself, not in a simple reading. In a simple reading, you'll probably come to the same conclusion that anyone else would come to, and that is, you know, Jesus Christ died for the world, not for the angelic realm, right? And he came to die for people. Right. So number one, don't be too scared or concerned because a simple reading will almost lead you to the simplest of understandings of the English text, number one. Number two, you can start to learn how to study the Bible so you can go a little bit deeper. And this is where I recommend the inductive Bible study method that we've all learned. That's how we were trained. And a great introductory book on that topic, a simple, simple introduction to this methodology is a book written by Skip Heitzig, and he titled it, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. And it is a simple introduction to inductive Bible study. And inductive Bible study is something we naturally do. Uh, And it has three steps to it. You observe the text, you interpret the text, and then you apply the text. And then the question about how do you interpret? Well, interpretation comes through asking questions. And let me give you a, an example of that. I'm using the word simple so much, but so I'm going to stop using that word. But let me give you an example. We'll go back to the text I had in the previous call. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. So let's make an observation. Peter writes to us. Right? Do you see that observation? He writes to us. What does that mean exactly? So that's a question. Does us mean angels or does us mean humans? And that's a good... And how would you come to that conclusion? Well, you look at the context. You What comes before it? And this one's an easy one, but if it was a more challenging, you'd look at what comes before it, what comes after it. If you can't answer it then, then you may need to back into the text who it was written to. If that doesn't help, then you may have to write when was it written. You may have to ask when was it written. Um, If that doesn't work, then you ask why was it written. And before you know it, as you're asking these key questions, the answers to the questions will then help you come to the right interpretation. Because there's only one. 
There's not your interpretation, my interpretation, our sister's interpretation in Florida or in Amarillo. There's only one. And we'll all be right if we come to the right conclusion. And for us, this one was was a much easier because he talks about men in verse 7. He he talks to people, beloved, in verse 8. And then he includes himself, so Peter's a human being, in the word us, so we can conclude and interpret that that word means us. So you just did simple, easy, inductive Bible study right now over the radio. And uh-huh. of course, it's, okay. a, it's a little more complicated and a little more in-depth. You can learn the skill because then you can look up words in the original language. There's some great resources for that. And then you can also confirm uh, your interpretation by other teachers and commentators. Um, so let me give you another recommendation of a book this is these are essential books in every library. Number one, you need a very good Bible dictionary. And okay. there's a lot of great ones out there, but the one that I use the most is the Nelson's Bible Dictionary. I think they have an updated version. But there's a lot of great ones out there. Um, uh, if you go to blueletterbible.org, that's a whole... I do have that on my phone. So there's a free dictionaries there. And okay. you can look up words and places... And you'd be surprised how much you learn when you just read, open up the dictionary. Okay. And then you also, uh, another great resource is a Bible handbook. And I recommend what my pastor recommended to me, and that's Haley's Bible handbook. H- Haley? A- yeah, I think it's H-A-L-L-E-Y-S. And there might even be, it might be in the public domain by now, I'm not sure, um, but... You can certainly buy it wherever you get books. Okay. Bible Dictionary, a a good um, Bible handbook. And then another resource that's super helpful is a book that's entitled Talk Through the Bible. Talk Through the Bible. And that is a, um, that's a resource that gives you the basic time frame, summary, key verses of every book in the Bible. Okay. So you're like, well, how would I know what what the time frame of the Corinthians were? How do I know what they were dealing with in their culture? Talk through the Bible really helps that because it gives you the the whole essence of when it was written, who it was written to, why it was written, which will help you uh, grow in understanding, you know, who was Peter writing to in Second Peter? And was he writing to angels or was he writing to people? You know, and that those types of questions. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's been very helpful. You're welcome. I can't wait. Call me back in a couple months and tell me how it's going. I will. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. What a great question, because wanting to know how to study the Bible is a a step up from just reading it. Uh, But I do want to assure you, again, just by way of repetition, that if if you sit down with your Bible, you open it and read it, you will understand most of what you're reading. Not all. You go, but Ed, I tried that on Leviticus. Leviticus can be a little challenging, but the challenge isn't understanding what you read. The challenge is is understanding why God said that. And does it apply today in the New Covenant compared to the Old Covenant? You have some theological questions to answer, but not knowledge questions, you know, when you read it, it says what it says. Don't eat this, don't eat that. The real question is, 
what does that mean to me? What's the application of this? Um, but I don't want you to be super intimidated because a lot of the Bible is easy to read, easy to understand, and there are those challenges, though, for sure. 303-690-3000 is the number. Back to Denver, Colorado. Leslie, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> um, so this, this, I was listening to Abounding Grace the other day, and, and actually it was interesting because um, my husband and I just got into an argument, and um, I, I, well, long story <clears throat> short, my, my little baby needed a car nap. So I went for like a quick drive just to get him to nap for 10 minutes just to make it to bedtime. And that sermon was on, and I thought, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I've been thinking about it since then. And um, what it, like, what does practically, what, how, how do you submit to your husband on a day-to-day basis? One, if he is loving you as Christ loves you, and two, if he's not. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that, again, maybe Marie and I should do a, a, a together episode on this. Maybe on my podcast, I'll, Marie and I could talk about this, because I would say, and you might be surprised by this answer, but I would say that most of the time in your marriage, submission is not an issue. Most of the time in your marriage, submission is not an issue. It comes, I believe, it comes very naturally, submission comes very naturally to a wife who is being properly loved by God and by their husband, where there's not a lot of friction, not a lot of difficulty. Most of marriage in Christ is general agreement, uh, general agreement. What does it look like when a husband's loving his wife? Uh, What does it look like when we have, you know, we we all have typical marriages, Typical marriages uh, have problems, have disagreements, have difficulties. Every marriage is like that. Um, but marriages that are growing in Christ are not filled with friction as much as they're filled with unity and peace and fun and joy. Uh, and and so the when you think of the word submission, the idea of that word means to fall in line or to follow along or to willingly yield and you think of the think of the difficulties in marriage like submission truly takes place only at times when we disagree like submission's not really necessary when we we're already mutually submissive right like like for example when you were driving you were driving in submission to every other driver on the road did you know that but you didn't really pay attention to it. You, uh-huh. you, you, you drove on the right side of the road. You followed the stop sign. You looked at the lights. It was your, it was like your contribution to society to follow the rules. But in your contribution to society, you weren't thinking about. Oh, I think I'll bless him. I think I'll bless them. I think you're just you were doing what was right, living out your life. And so were other people doing what was right, living out their life. And you guys, while you were driving, even giving your baby a, uh, an afternoon car nap, uh, were living in mutual submission. But it didn't hurt. Uh, it didn't anger you. But if a guy cut you off and you slammed on your brakes, once again, an act of submission because you were avoiding an accident, that brought out a different feeling. Um, that You did it, but it, but you did it 
like not necessarily willingly, you got upset, you had to deal with your emotions, you, but generally, most of the time, we live in a loving, submissive relationship. It just ebbs and flows of how much love and submission is really necessary. And and in those, I, I think I want to carry this over to the to the second half because I've got a follow up for you that I can walk through and maybe even give an example in my own marriage. But I know that I I know that even when my wife and I disagree, she will willingly not pick a fight for the sake of peace, and that's a big one that she chooses to do because I know she could. Because she has a, an opinion too. So hold on. I'll bring you back on the other side. This is Calvary Live. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the second half of today's program. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. Text me. I'm sorry I haven't mentioned the text line, even though you are texting in, so thanks for saving it, 720-336-0897. 720-336-0897, and uh, we're taking your calls. We've got a couple open lines. You're welcome to take them, um, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. And we had a great question uh, from Abounding Grace Radio, kind of sparked it in an earlier caller, but Leslie's here in Denver. We're talking about submission and what does it look like, um, and, and I, I think of Marie and I being married uh, first of all, welcome back, Leslie. Thanks. Um, I, you know, Marie and I have been married 32 years. We had a few years married uh, before we got saved, uh, you know, some time together before we even got married. So we've been together a long time, two very strong personalities. I'm not going to tell you who I think the strongest personality is, but we have two very strong personalities in our marriage and a lot of friction, a lot of disagreement at times, uh, but also a lot of love, a lot of submission that really isn't addressed. And I know that if I ever um, had to throw down the gauntlet with Marie and say, you know, woman, you just need to submit to this, um, I'm sure her behavior would, uh, because she loves God and she loves me, I'm, I'm sure she would yield, uh, but, but it only reflects we have deeper problems if that's how I'm loving my wife and how I'm demanding from her, you know, the the reality of, hey, do what the Bible says or whatever. So, um, you know, I think when I think of submission, I think of attitude and I think of atmosphere, right? The the atmosphere has to be one of love and a fear of the Lord. It's what we learn in Ephesians. But the attitude has to be where I trust God more than I trust my spouse. I'm going to trust God in this, especially from the position of submission, where I don't like it, I don't want it. I mean, if it's not sin then I need to take the position of faith in trusting God with my husband, trusting God with the situation, trusting God with the decision, um, but always from a position of unity, oneness, relationship. Um, what are your thoughts? What, 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 what are your thoughts on that? Um, 
helpful. I, I struggle with. Um, we also have we ha- we both have very strong personalities, but sometimes um, sometimes my husband's personality can kind of squash my personality. Yeah. And um, he's a new believer, and I I feel like I'm the spiritual leader of our household. Okay. And um, so I. I struggle with it sometimes when I don't feel like he's loving me um, or, or even quite honestly, like respecting me. Yes. Um, and I want, I want to be obedient. Um, and, uh, and, you know, similar to your wife, like I'm, I'm okay to, to submit to keep the peace or to not pick a fight to keep the peace. Um, but I just don't know. I just have a hard time sometimes doing that when I when I feel like I'm not being loved. Well, there's a couple things that uh, a few things that that I hear in what you're saying, and one is 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 the feeling part. It's very challenging, right? Because our feelings are real. Uh, they we feel exactly what we're feeling, uh, but they don't always lead us in the right direction, and feelings don't always tell us the truth of the situation. And so we have to take those thoughts and those feelings captive to the obedience of Christ. Um, or otherwise, we may we're, we're you know we're less than a fifty fifty chance we're going to make the right decisions if we're making them based on feelings. I'm not saying they're not real, and I'm not even saying that they're not real in response to something real. They're just deceptive to us at times. We because we often can feel the wrong thing, which will make us or feel the right thing but can lead us to the wrong decision. And so actions, we have to choose that, that action of obedience and submission first and let the Lord sort out our feelings, praying through them, thinking through them, talking through them as a couple. Um, one thing I want to be careful of in my marriage is my feelings. Secondly, I think it sounds like you guys would do really well if you started to examine and explore your marriage um, as new believers. And even though he's a newer believer— just really pouring into each other, learning what it means to be one, what it means to communicate well, what it means, you know, and I think of a couple books that would be very helpful. Uh, maybe you already have one of them, but The um, Seven Love Languages sounds like would be a great book for you guys to examine and explore. Because, I mean, I, I wish that book was available years ago because it's such a cheat sheet on how to love your spouse <laughs> the way they want to be loved. Like, I would have never thought of that, um, especially before Christ. Like, my whole goal is to please my wife. That, that's huge. Um, I, I didn't grow up that way. I, I, thought my, I, thought, I thought my wife's whole goal was to please me. And, and haven't we all found that neither one of us can completely please each other, and our only sufficiency can come in Christ, and our only peace and contentment. And another resource is very helpful is a book that we have here. You can get it on our bookstore uh, or wherever you get books, but on, on calvaryco.store. Uh, you can even order it and pick it up here, and so you don't have to pay for postage. But it's called Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. He's a pastor friend of mine in Northern California, and his um, his sense of the um his sense of marriage what he draws out from marriage is oneness and he goes through and gives all these examples of what oneness is uh and and how to 
effectively, they really practically live that out in your marriage. Um, however, that all being said, my last thought is, is that if you are stronger spiritually, you are required to live stronger spiritually. There's really nothing you can do about that. Um, to whom much is given, much is required. And so if your husband is a little less spiritual than you because he's a new believer or a newer believer, um, you're going to find your greatest satisfaction living out your relationship with the Lord the way he made you and where you are in your spiritual growth. Um, And we know that God can do a quick work, and we know that God can do a great work, and we just need to pray for that in your husband, that he will grow quicker than you expect, and and that he'll begin to apply the things that he's learning and growing in his Bible reading and his Bible study and and perhaps getting one of these books and just asking him to read it with you would be a great first start. Okay. That's that's good advice. Thank you. The um the love languages I was mixing up books. It's actually only five love languages, uh, not seven. So <laughs> just in case you guys are looking for that, like I can't find that one. No, it's only five. <laughs> Um, but I'll give you a great example. Um, I'll give you a great example. Again, Marie and I have been married all these years. Uh, Marie doesn't like flowers. It's not that she doesn't like them, but like, you know how guy, guys will give their wives flowers and that's a big deal. And But it's never been a big deal to Marie. And so what does that do? He gets her flowers all the time. Of course, I'm going to get her flowers, but it, it's not really going. I mean, she appreciates them. She's not mean-spirited or anything, but, you know, they're, they're flowers. They're, like they're not they're not what she, that's not her love language ed getting her flowers um her love language is ed cleaning the house that that would get me so much um that would that that that's a slam dunker as i like to say um so what does that do more clean the house or get flowers get flowers and <laughs> i i know this i I, although I, I think if you asked her, I've improved over the years. I do think I have. I think um, probably not to the degree that I could, but and it's no excuse. It's just like as I'm saying it, it's like, Ed, you're such a knucklehead. Like you should just clean the house and just serve your wife. And, um, you know, and I instead I get her flowers, you know, I just um, and, you know, I think she makes accommodations for me. Right. She she could make that a big deal. You know, she could throw it in my face, I guess, if you say or. Like, but I can do, I could tell you this most of the time when we do, and when as marriages, this is a general statement, we kind of let things go, we kind of let, but when there's a big fight, it all comes out. Uh-huh. And it's just best that we deal with things little by little, um, not allowing the enemy to take advantage of us, um, and, and learning to, to put our, to think of our spouse more highly than ourselves. Oh no, she dropped. Because um, oh. oh, can you hear no, me? No, you're back. You're back. Oh, okay. That was just really helpful because I I do feel like well, one I I'm I'm her, and, um, but the love languages I have read the book, but I should revisit it because I do feel like on a daily basis, God tells me to serve him, serve your husband. Um, even even if I don't want to, and I and I do find that if I serve him, the thing that I'm worried about or the thing that I'm upset about in my marriage comes back, and 
softens him and then it ends up working out. Um, so Thank you. That, that just was, it was helpful. I, I think that's a great clarification, too, because when we think of these things in our marriages, almost immediately we think in terms of extremes. And then when we think of in terms of extremes, it just seems like there's no way out. Like it's just so bad or it's so difficult or it's so challenging. And, and even when I have the opportunity to sit down with couples, when I hear them use exaggerated language, I know they're not thinking straight. Like like words like, he always does this. Well, we know that's not true, but that's how you're feeling, but it's not true. And she always, and she never, well, that's, that's not true. You, you know, she never cooks dinner for me. Uh, what are you talking about? You smell like tacos right now. Like you, she obviously cooked for you tonight. Like, but there, what, what's being expressed is this pent up anger of lack of communication, lack of intimacy, lack of obedience, lack, like all these little things build up to where like, no, marriage isn't the, isn't the full fulfillment for a man or a woman, but it is an enjoyable relationship that can be, we can grow in that enjoyment over time, but we'll always have friction because we're two selfish sinners. And then we're so smart as two selfish sinners that decide to to commit to one another for forever that we start creating little selfish sinners and they grow up in our house and and we're just battling the flesh and the spirit constantly walking in the spirit battling the flesh walking in the spirit battling in the flesh and and it's it's in these times where great friction takes place where the temptation to think oh it's better over there or it's better if this person or somebody starts flirting or someone show and we just like no no my my commitment is here, my love is here, and honey, let's grow. And, and that may be just the opportunity when you go home, you go, you know, honey, let's just grow. Let's pick up one of these books and just read it together. Let's not even try to accomplish anything. Let's just read it together and let the Holy Spirit lead us. Huh, okay. Thank you. Well, bless you, sister. Let me pray for your marriage. <clears throat> Father, I, I pray for this precious marriage. I pray for my marriage. I pray for the marriages that are listening. Just, just you know, where we are, like we're just human uh, involved in something that's supernatural and beautiful, and we want to grow in it. We want to be better spouses. We want to be men and women that submit to you and learn to love and submit to one another so that we might uh, grow in grace together, allowing you to um, fulfill and strengthen us along the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Great questions. You know, I think, and and I want to shout out to you singles as well. You know, I think uh, singleness has its own challenges, for sure. Maybe you want to call in and talk about it. Uh, I'd love to hear. Um, But in your thoughts of, well, you know, if I was just married, everything would be better or right. Uh, Some things would be better and some things would be challenging. Um, and certainly if you have a desire to be married, then you probably don't have the gift of singleness and you just wait on the Lord, wait for him to do the work and step in and develop friendships and such. But, you know, marriage is hard work. It's work. And then parenting is work on top of that. But in the grace of God, he's with us, strengthens us and helps us in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Great question here from Pennsylvania. Alex, on line two, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Pastor Ed? Good, man. How are you? 
Good. Um, hey, I have a question. I know you don't have the answer for, you know, for everything, but I'm, I just have a question. Um, my brother-in-law has a co-worker that he's, that he's trying to witness, and um, he just uh, asked him a really tough question. I, I tried my best, but I, I didn't see him, like, satisfied. Okay. Um, so the, que the question was, okay, why do I have to pay for the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Why do I have... That was two... How many thousands of years ago? Why do I have to pay for that? Yeah, you don't. You pay for your own sin. Okay. Because he, he said... The, his point is, like, why do I have to... Um, why do I have... Like, why are we here? We're here because of Adam and Eve, right? Sure. Um, why do I have to pay for that? Like, why the rest of humanity <laughs> have to pay for what Adam and Eve committed? Well, the thing about that the, the thing about that question is it's a trick question, right? It it doesn't really ask the right. You're not re that person is really not asking the at the the adequate the real truthful question. The only only a person that stands there before you completely sinless can ask that question. If the person's completely sinless and says and which isn't possible, but you know just to go along with their thinking. Um, if they're completely sin sinless, then they can ask that question, but they're not. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. Uh, so we end up paying for our own sin. Um, the, the reality of the gift of his life comes from his ancestors, Adam and Eve, and the gift of his life, um, you know, in a theological way, of course, we've all been born in sin, so that if someone never sinned, they'd still have to give an account for that because Adam and Eve were sinners that only created other sinners. But by the time an adult asks that question, they've already had their own sinful behavior. They've already made, and that, that person asking is probably in rank rebellion against God as he's asking it. So he's in his worst sin uh, that's even possible there. And and so we don't. He isn't going to pay for Adam and Eve's sin. He's going to pay for his own sin. Um, right. And and that will yeah, I, that will challenge his I thinking. Kinda, I kind of say a few things like I mentioned things like that. Not exactly that. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, no, you pay for your own sin. But then he was like, "Oh, um, like we here and now people. A lot of people are going to die because somebody else. Like why? You know, because somebody because two people." Like, you know, a lot of people are going to go to hell because of that. And, uh, yeah, it was, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but again, you're, you're on the right track in your thinking because a lot of people are going to go to hell for the same reason that this brother will go to hell, this man will go to hell if he doesn't repent of his sin. They're not going to hell because of Adam and Eve. Everyone is held responsible for their own behaviors, not for the behaviors of anyone else. That, that Jesus Christ, you know, the real question, uh, again— is not, why are we paying for Adam and Eve? The real question that, that he needs to answer is, why did God send Jesus Christ into the world? Why did an innocent man... And you could talk to him, you know, if he would give you the chance, he'd go, don't you think you've made a mistake in life? Are you perfect? Oh, I'm not perfect, of course. Of course you're not perfect. I mean, I've seen you lie, I've seen you steal, or whatever, you know, if you know him personally, right? Um, you know, I think of the guys, I think of the brother that invited me to church. You know, we partied a lot together. We send together. Um, no question. I can't defend myself. And so he could say, you know, Ed, how could you stand there? You, you sin. I send with you, bro. We, we did this, this, and this. And so because of that, 
you are now held responsible for that sin. So what will you do with your own sin? Well, I don't think it's fair that Adam and Eve sinned. Well, they paid the price for their sin. Um, and so what will you do with yours? And and the, and again, the, then you turn it around, and, and depending on how the conversation goes, but then you turn it around and you go, but wait a minute, there's a greater question to ask here. And why is it fair for an innocent man to die for your failures? Yeah. And you know he doesn't yeah, have an answer of, for that. I told him about, you know, yeah, that was the first Adam. Then we had the second Adam, right, um, who fixed all things. And then he was like, yeah, but doesn't that kind of look like, like, like with, you know, like, I don't know. He, he, he was basically saying, like, like if God didn't know what he was doing, like, you know, like, well, yeah. we screwed up. And then he's like, he's like, oops, now I got to go fix this thing, like. You know, and why you created us in the first place? And being that, I don't know. Yeah, and, but um, but again, yeah. it's okay though. I I see where he's going, and he's he's not he's jumping. He's not being logical in his thinking, right? He's jumping a few a few uh, acts. He's ascribing to God. Oh, he made a mistake. He's trying to fix it. But God already answered that 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 the plan of salvation was 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 already created in the Godhead before the foundations of the world. So nothing was a mistake. Number one. But but number two, you know, again, just helping people think of their thinking. Like, let's say he's standing there in blue jeans and a black jacket, okay, and a white T-shirt. And you just say, well, why'd you wear blue jeans today? Oh, because I wanted to. Well, why didn't you wear black pants? It doesn't make sense. Why would you, you got black jacket, black, white T-shirt, and you put blue jeans on? Why You shouldn't have put blue jeans on. You should have put black. Everybody knows you should put black jeans. And the, what is he going to go? Oh, you can't tell me what to do. I can pull whatever pants I want. Okay, okay, okay. You're going to have blue jeans. Why did not you put a blue jacket on? You know, everybody knows that blue jeans and blue jacket. And you just keep going with him and, and watch him respond. Like he's, he's, he's going to defend his decisions. And eventually he's going to say, I did it because I want to. Right? He's, I'm sure he's going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Yeah, I really, uh, then, I really. Then, then you say, well, if it's okay for you to do things the way you want to do, is it not okay for God to do things he wants to do? That's a good one. I like that. And, and they're stuck in their thinking because they're, they're applying something to God that they won't apply to themselves. And, and, and as you interrupt that, if they think they're really smart and they got all these strong arguments— and they have valid questions. It's not a bad question. It's just they don't want a real answer. And so we've got to stop their thinking. Like, we've got to jog their head a little bit and go, hey, man, if you can wear blue jeans, then God can create Adam and Eve. Right. And, and all I'm looking for is really him to start agreeing with me and starting to see the error of his thinking. And I'm just planting seeds, right? I'm not going to convince him in one sitting. I'm just planting some seeds. I'm watering some seeds so that the next guy that comes, maybe God will use him to give the increase. Um, but his thinking is flawed. He may not believe that, but his thinking is flawed. It's it's perfectly okay for God to create a universe with two people that have free will. It's it's actually the act. It's an act of great love to create two people that you that you already know are going to rebel against you, but give them the gift of life anyway. And then offer up your only begotten son to bring them back into relationship with you. I mean, to me, that's a tremendous love—not less love, but more love. Yeah, that's so. That's that's true. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. But that's that's. I at least I got more 
um, answers to work with. But yeah, that was a good question. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. I think, you know, people listening in are facing the same kind of questions. And I know it feels, you know, it, it's it's hard because we're, we're on the radio. He's not in here. You know, it's harder when the person's in front of you. But when you begin to listen, the Holy Spirit gives you insight. It's like, what do you mean? I'm not paying for Adam and Eve's sin. I'm paying for my own. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. That's a good one. I like that. All right, Pastor. Okay, brother. So much. God bless you. Bye-bye. Yeah, so good. That's such a great question. So it can be very difficult to talk about, um, to, to answer these questions. Because, like, it, it's it's a lot harder and when you're more, it, when the person's in front of you, you could be nervous, I know. I uh, just want to give you guys an update. I got a text. Um, it's, oh, geez, what happened? I clicked it. Sorry. Um, I got a text that says, it's Kim. Thanks for praying for Joman on the air. One of my friends heard it, told me he's stable and doing good. Yay. That must mean they opened up his lung. Uh, and I can't wait to meet Joman face to face. The victory that God gives him over this nasty, nasty COVID virus, man. I, I know most people, I know most people it's mild. I know. But for some, it's not. And, um, you know, as we spend the last few minutes here on the air, I, I just want to ask you to pray for the Bentley family. Uh, many of you listening on Grace FM and on other stations around the country, most likely carry Ray Bentley's Bible teaching program. He's the pastor of Maranatha Chapel in San Diego, California. Pastor Ray Bentley went home to be with the Lord yesterday after suffering a COVID-related heart attack. And uh, he had a valiant, valiant battle uh, with covid for a couple weeks, and, um, you know, it's just very sad to hear that he joined. I mean, it's bittersweet, I should say. Um, I'm praying for Vicky, his wife. I know his son Daniel was a church planter here. Uh, he pastored a church in Parker, Colorado for many years, and uh, got to know him there, and uh, got to be, uh, be, you know, Pastor Ray Bentley was one of those pastors that I listened to, one of the first pastors I listened to uh, on my commutes, I used to get off of work around 7, 7.30 every day, and he would be on the radio in Southern California as a new believer. He was one of the brothers I listened to regularly on radio, discipled as a new believer, and it, we would I would have never thought years later he and I would become friends. We were working on a second interview. He just published another book, and we were—I just—my assistant— uh, I don't have any more, and her assistant was, and we were just weren't able to ever connect. We were going to have another interview on his latest book, and then tragically and suddenly, um, we lost him yesterday. And uh, heaven's gain, earth's loss, it stinks. Um, but would you please pray for the Bentley family? I want to uh, end the program praying uh, for uh, Vicky and the family, and the Maranatha Chapel family, and every the thousands of people. That were affected. He ministered alongside Joel Rosenberg with throughout Israel and the Middle East. You guys that know him know he was a passionate uh, lover of Israel, as we are here, and um, did so much ministry. He's going to be greatly missed. Um, Father, we pray for the Bentley family, the family of Maranatha Chapel. We pray for comfort as they mourn the loss of their pastor and their friend and their dad and their husband, their brother. Um, just seeing some of the tributes today, was just, he, was a very, he was a very encouraging brother. We miss him greatly already. And I pray that 
uh, you would bring. You, I keep thinking of Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. So we receive that comfort. I also pray for my brother Bill Gem about uh, out in Virginia. Um, so it's kind of damage in the house that he was staying and his family. I pray you'd bring him home safely to the church in Amarillo, back to his family, Lord. And and just the fires here in Colorado, um, the snow in Virginia, the the, the tornadoes, the it's devastation, damage with on top of everything else, God. And I pray you'd show yourself strong in many different ways to us uh, that are utterly dependent upon you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're grateful that you joined us today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, this is Calvary Live, and it's a live broadcast from here at Grace FM Studios in Aurora, Colorado. We start a brand new book study tonight here at Calvary Church in Aurora. We're, we're going to be verse by verse in the book of Genesis. I'm very excited to start this. It's going to be a, a, a while. We're going to be in Genesis a while, just like we're going to be in the book of Acts on the weekend. All the information about our church, whether you want to attend locally, you know, make this your home church, you want to connect via the radio, you want to connect via online, go to our website, CalvaryCO, stands for Colorado, CalvaryCO.church, CalvaryCO.church. God bless you guys, Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.